Come and get some on a Tuesday morning. It's Russell and Medhurst. We're live and in living color. No recorded audio here. This is live. We're talking to you as we speak. We're in the capital. We're in Southeast D.C. Where the Suitland Parkway is a zoo this morning. 29 minutes to go to last 4.9 miles. Yeah. Yeah. 29 minutes to go. 4.9 miles, ladies and gentlemen. Sounds, uh... Guerrero could have walked here faster. Sounds about 14th Street Bridgeage. Yeah, I mean, I just... Bridgeish. You know, I, I just don't think walking from all the way back at Silver Hill Road, where the traffic slowed to get into town, would have been a, a great idea either, because I'd still be out there walking and freezing. Yeah. My ears would be chilly. My nose would look like Dan Campbell's did on Sunday night. Look, I'm telling you, Dan Campbell had frostbite on his nose. Well, it's that nose was as red as Matt's sweatshirt this morning. It's better than having frostbite elsewhere, which is what I heard somebody had. I don't remember who. I I remember I heard it on the radio or the news or Twitter or something like that. Frostbite in a certain area that you do not want frostbite in. They lived the zipper down or something? Unprotected? I don't know. Is he he not wearing underwear? I mean, my goodness. Protect it. You know? That that no sound bite. I don't know. I don't know why. It makes me laugh. (laughs) By the way... um, did you see Tyreek Hill endorsed uh, that person for uh, uh, being a future general manager? I uh, did not. Yes, on Twitter. It said uh, that person's got a great future ahead as a potential really? general manager. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. About I don't that. know if I would want Tyreek Hill to be endorsing much, but, you know, in terms of football personnel, but hey, he can run fast and he's a dynamic player. Well, there's no doubt about and he's that. He's certainly a personality. That's for damn sure. Um,. Speaking of dynamic, Ooh. no, not the Corey Dickerson signing by the Nationals. It's not necessarily dynamic. That's just another guy to play some small ball with right now. Um, you've got Chris Tapps, Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma with double-doubles. Did that result in a victory last night? No. No, it didn't. Pelicans win by 20 here last night. That's not good either. Um, but what wasn't good last night? And I actually just responded to a Clay Travis treat. Uh, Clay said it's got to be the worst performance, you know, worst blowout in any championship game form in history, pro, college, whatever. And I referenced Clay back to the 1940 NFL championship game where the Chicago Bears defeated your Washington Redskins by a final count of 73 to nothing. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, 73 to nothing. Washington would get its revenge two years later, beating the Bears in the 42 championship game, 14 to 6. But the irony in that 1973 championship game, Chris, Washington, quarterbacked by none other than TCU's own mm-hmm. Sammy Ball. Woo! So TCU last night, look, this was the perfect combination of Georgia at its elite best. TCU. Couldn't have been worse. And you get 65-7 last night. Just, I mean, look, this game, this game was over in, I don't know, a little more than a quarter. This thing started to get away uh, from TCU and Georgia, which was not at its best against Ohio State, could not have been better last night. So you're right. 
Uh, it was over early. The best thing that you could ask for was two things, actually. If you had Georgia minus the 13 and a half or 13 or 14, I guess you could have gotten it at, uh, depending on the book, you were not sweating it much. Um, so you cashed in one, two, the game started at 745, mm-hmm. which I thought was un- highly unusual. Um, and but spectacular and yet spectacular because even though it obviously hurts the West Coast audience, you know, who might have to work until five or four thirty. They're and never then, in this game. You know, anyway. What have you? It, well, the, <laughs> number one that. But the game was in Los Angeles and, you know, whatever. Um, because college football generally tends to take literally forever. Mm-hmm. You can't start these games at 820 like you can Monday night football or 815 or what have you. So when they advertised a 730 um college football pro- or, or you know 730 broadcast time, quite honestly, I was asked by a couple of people and even JP Finley was asking on Twitter uh last night 730 and I almost answered him, but I th- and I thought about it. I was like, nah, they're not kicking this off until 8.15. As a matter of fact, I had planned. I had a bunch of work going on, podcasts, whatever. I had planned to take a shower and then cook some dinner because I thought I had until about 8.15, 8.20. And all of a sudden, they're doing the coin flip, and I'm like, whoa, what the hell's going on over here? And as it turns out, Again, stroke of genius by ESPN because I'm sure a lot of people tuned out at halftime. So, you know, maybe you got that 8 p.m. to 9.30 primetime window, that type of thing. Maybe you got some people to stay around. And then the other thing, Pete, I you know, I, I, I watch Georgia. I, I don't watch every snap. I don't watch every game. I watch Georgia, and and usually their games are kind of one-sided. You watch a 1,000 college football games a week. I have no idea how you do it. I got to be honest with you. I knew Stetson Bennett could run. Did not know he could run that fast. Did not know he was that mobile. Did not know that he was that much of a burner. Did not know that he was that aggressive against man-to-man defense with largely your backs turned in coverage. Did not know that Stetson Bennett became Michael Vick overnight. <laughs> it I, just sorry. appeared. Right. It, I, I mean, it just appeared that he looked like Michael Vick because there was not a person from TCU yeah. in the stadium. But they, I mean, there, they, there's no the lack of preparedness last night by TCU's defense, and also quality. Look, we talk about feel for play calling. Certainly, it's easier when you have a bigger talent advantage, like Todd Munkin did in Georgia. But what they did so well last night, play construction. They kept putting because of their two deep safety look with TCU. They did an incredible job of putting the safety on the one side in conflict. They made him, okay, do I help with A.D. Mitchell in the outer third, maybe going deep down the field? Do I help with Brock Bowers, the tight end, who I'm able to split out? Do I do I have to be cognizant of Kenny McIntosh coming out of the backfield, running down the same side of the field as those two guys 
or a Lad McConkie, you know, out in the outer third of the field. It was tremendous play construction by Georgia. Excellent execution. Certainly, does it help having five-star talent running routes and everything like that? Remember, Stetson Bennett was like a two-star, okay? He was getting offers from people like UMass and things right. like that uh, when he first came out of high school. So, Even the staff rejected him, right? This staff, t- look, they tried to replace him twice, right. okay? They tried to run him off twice, and all he ends up doing is winning back-to-back national championship games, the MVP in all four playoff games that he plays. But last night, last night it was the perfect evolution and, and combination of five-star, four-star talent and the quality of execution. What Georgia did is what Alabama has done under Saban. The coaching staff leaves out no detail in its player preparation, its player development. And when you put four- and five-star talent on the field, and you give them that type of coaching, demand for excellence by that staff, demand for excellence within the locker room of the players, because that's also part of it, Chris. I mean, you can have the best coaches in the world, but if the players are selfish and don't buy in, if the parents and the handlers of the players are selfish and they interfere and they're calling the coach or they're emailing the coach or they're emailing the position coach saying, hey, Johnny's not playing enough snaps. you got to get him in the game or we're leaving. What you have at Georgia right now is the perfect combination of all of that. It's what Saban did earlier this decade. It's what Dabo did earlier this decade. It's what Ohio State was doing earlier this decade when the three of them were constants, and it was just a matter of which one of them survived and won the playoff going against each other. And right now, Georgia is the team that is achieving that. And last night, the scary thing was, in the second half in particular, Three of the kids up front on defense that are making plays are true freshmen. They're sacking Duggan. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, these guys aren't going away. Oh, bye. by the way, Brock Bowers, not eligible for the NFL draft next year. He has to come back to Georgia for mm-hmm. one more year. Mm-hmm. Okay? So how about you, SEC linebackers and safeties? Enjoy covering that guy one more time. Now, the answer, I mean, Georgia obviously will have to have a quarterback. Right, different You know, and they, right. they think the kid they already have there and Cook is ready to take over and be that guy. Certainly not without competition from some of the young signal callers they have there, but you got to believe he's probably the guy going forward. But that combination of demand for excellence, but a buy-in by the players is the perfect combination to making that happen. That's what dominant football looks like when you have that. Kirby Smart used my word last night. It was so I jumped off the my seat in my office watching the game when he said it. I couldn't believe it. When he talked about how connected they were as a team. And when you have everyone connected, everyone connected in search of the same goal that lacked the selfishness of, oh, I'm not getting 40 snaps. You know, I'm not getting 30 snaps and contributing to this. You know, I'm going to sit over here and pout because I'm not I'm not a huge contributor to this championship team. Well, when you, when you have that connectedness and a locker room that polices itself and demands excellence of itself every day, they understood, Chris, last week they weren't at their best. That was not their best effort against Ohio State last week. And that this this preparation from that game to this game was probably a little bit different for them. And, and you saw that last night. You saw that accountability. You saw that performance. 
And Jalen Carter, who was essentially a non-factor. You go back and look at that Ohio State tape last week, Chris. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that people think could be number one pick in the draft. Okay, He was non-existent against Ohio State. He set the tone early in that game last night. He was excellent in that football game last night. That's part of the accountability. Even he looked inside himself and said, you know what, I didn't give my best effort last week. I've got to be better here on this stage uh, on Monday night. And he was, that defense was, offensively, they just outclassed TCU on the defensive side of the football. And now the question ultimately is, if the quarterback answers the bell with what they have coming back next year, if the quarterback answers the bell, and they get corner play because Keely Ringo is going to come out. He's going to be a top 15, top 20 pick in the NFL draft at corner. So I do believe in that situation, they got to find a corner and they got to find a quarter. If they, if they answer the call with those two positions, then I think this Georgia team has a chance to be right back here again next season and, and really put you, – you, look, you keep getting tired of teams from the South. Go beat them. Ohio State had a chance to do it last week. But again, that's Ohio State. So we keep seeing the same people, Chris. I don't see where the people are coming from unless it's Caleb Williams in USC next year um, that that prevents another team from the South like this or a Big Ten team from being the club uh, on Monday night that, that hoists that weird-looking trophy that they right. have. I mean, listen, every year is different. Injuries can happen, of course. Mention the quarterback situation. They're going to lose some of these guys. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line is Georgia's – Going in as the preseason favorite, shocker. Um, the question now becomes, I I, I guess it, it, it maybe it's too early to do this. I, I mean they've they've clearly replaced Alabama as the elite and the cream of the crop in the SEC, mm-hmm. and therefore in the country. Where did Kirby Smart? Uh, where was Kirby Smart, an assistant coach, at before he came to Georgia? Yes, correct. Okay, but where? I mean, is it too early to start then thinking, could Kirby Smart once one day become as revered as the dictator? A- absolutely. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think, think there's it's any too question early, about it, right? No, the guy's just won back-to-back championships right. in a playoff era that nobody's done. I mean, he still has a ways to go before climbing. In that terms of mountain. the number, yes. In terms of the actual number of right. titles, yes. Right. But, but but he's on the path. But he's on that path. There's yeah. no question about it. And. Is that a great thing for college football? I wouldn't say last night was a great thing for college football. I mean, dominance no, usually no, is, but a 65-7 yeah, agree with you 100%. is not great for ratings, is not great for, um, you know, like people, like this morning, people talk, oh my God, how great was Stetson, how great was Georgia, how great, but boom, it'll be like... Like, the fire will be extinguished quickly right. on this college this. football season. Think about this. With an expanded playoff, mm-hmm. and I know there were people out there that looked on the surface and go, well, Alabama lost to Tennessee and LSU. Yes, by a combined four points. Okay? Would Alabama have beaten Georgia the way Georgia played last night? Not a chance. Okay? I don't care how great Bryce Young is. Not a chance. There's no chance Alabama would have beaten Georgia. Would they have been more competitive? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, no doubt about it. They'd have been more competitive. Um, but how much more competitive? Uh, who knows? I mean, they're not – I don't think Georgia would have scored 65 on Alabama. Mm-hmm. But they still probably win the game handily, especially if they'd have executed like they did last night. And I know, I know it has made college football a very south, southern, you know, Gulf Coast-type – 
you know, sport, you know, when you include it, obviously a TCU making it from the Big 12 last night. But think about this. In a 12-team playoff, we get a couple of interesting games probably out of that. Because remember, mm-hmm. Michigan had just boat raced Ohio State, okay, and had boat raced them two years in a row. Ohio State should have beaten Georgia. That's the irony in all this. Ohio State, Ruggles is a very good kicker. He just hit a terrible kick last week, or they're in that game against TCU. Right. Okay? And just like the NCAA basketball tournament, Chris, Georgia, I don't think anybody would argue Georgia was the best team in the country. But when you get into a playoff situation, unlike the old days when people like me, people like you know Andy Bitter down at Virginia Tech, sports writer who just won the Virginia Sports mm-hmm. Writer of the Year Award. Way to go, Andy. Um, you know, it was people like us voting that decided the national champion, okay? We could still determine Georgia was the best team in the country. But just like in basketball, just like in any of these NCAA sports, when you get into a playoff, you can have a bad day. Like Ohio State uh, nearly got Georgia last week. Georgia didn't have its best and could have lost. We probably on the surface at the end go, man, don't we think Georgia was was the best team in the country Overall, yeah, but, but, in, on a, an, but in a, a one-game bad, bad day, yeah. Ohio State should have beaten them. Now, remember, Ohio State got boat raced by Michigan. TCU beat Michigan thanks to two pick-sixes from Michigan's quarterback. I was going to say, more Michigan uh, to me. Michigan uh, lost pe- that game, yes, uh, right. 100%. People were screaming last night about how, oh, you know, a shocking – Look, TCU, give them all the credit in the world for getting but to like where they Ken did. Beatrice but Michigan taught us as youngsters. Themselves. Just like Ken Beatrice taught us as youngsters when I was calling his show in 1978 as an eight-year-old. Sports talk. Okay. More games are lost. More games are lost than they are won. I'll tell you that right now, Chris, as I'm sitting right across here with my Albies roast beef and a Jamocha shake. <laughs> okay. More games are lost than they right. are won. Right. Michigan lost that game last week with terrible offensive performance. Couldn't stop TCU defensively. They were just not prepared. That's an indictment on Jim Harbaugh and that staff last week for not having them prepared. So you take all of that into into realm. Say Ohio State had won that game. We're sitting here at the end of the playoff going, this was great. Mm-hmm. The, gi- the Giant got knocked off by Ohio State. We'd have had Ohio State and TCU, which would have represented something different in the championship game. And everybody would have been like, "Okay, this is this is cool. This is this is what why we endorse an expanded playoff." Mm-hmm. However, if the result of an expanded playoff would have been Georgia versus Alabama, everybody would have been said would have said, "Why do we need to expand the playoff? It's the same teams that make their way through." Well, guess what? In an expanded playoff, Alabama's ass would have made it through, unless they'd have had to play Georgia before the championship game in the bracket. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I've come confident in saying that. So. I mean, it's it's just it's going to be what it is. Tournaments give you wacky results sometimes. VCU makes it to the Final Four. George Mason makes it to the Final Four. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it happens. So that's going to happen from time to time with an expanded playoff. You're going to get you know a Cincinnati out of the American that made it last year, Tulane that made it to the Cotton Bowl this year and beat USC in an epic college football game. It's ultimately what we're looking to be is entertained. We were not entertained last night. The only people that were entertained last night were college scouts looking at that Georgia team going, yeah. oh, we're going we're gonna to draft that guy. We're going to draft that guy. We're going to keep an eye on this guy because he's only a freshman. And that that's really all the entertainment you got out of that game last night. Mm-hmm.
So, I mean, Alabama, Georgia would have been better, more entertaining. Ohio, the two games last week were entertaining as hell. Mm hmm. Normally, the semifinals are routes. Normally, right. you get what you got last night in the semifinals. Right. right. So, unfortunately, we got it last night. The I mean, a lot of game. people feel like what happened last Saturday, New Year's Eve, was the you know, the greatest college football playoff games of them all. Without question. Both of them. No doubt. And then you get li- – listen, it's hard to call last night a dud because it wasn't a 6-3, you know, <laughs> snooze fest. But it was such a waxing, such a thumping – that it ultimately gets looked upon as instead of being just pure dominance by Georgia, it gets looked upon as, oh, that game sucked. Wow, what a letdown. Because everybody was expecting TCU to hang in there. And quite honestly, after they were down 10 nothing early after the early turnover and after the early Stetson Bennett zone read keeper, then they scratch back in. Georgia has a, bu- a coverage bust, and, and TCU's right there, and I'm like, all right, yeah, may, 10, may, seven. maybe TCU's, at 10-7, yeah. you were like, okay, they yeah. kind of they settled kinda, down. You yeah, know, got that first title exactly. wave of Georgia out of the way. They're going to answer the call, and then six straight possessions by Georgia. And the most impressive one may have been after the interception at the end of the in the late part of the second quarter that they turned right around and made a touchdown yeah. literally in seconds. Yeah. That might have been that to just a put if if you didn't know that the. You know, railroad tie was being pounded into the ground at that point. Right. Uh, that just finally uh, did it there. So congratulations to the Bulldogs. Epic performance last night. Uh, and again, a lot of those names you're going to be seeing in the National Football League over the next few years. Maybe the most interesting debate of them all will be Stetson Bennett, the quarterback, 5'11", and um, not exactly a rocket for an arm. Sounds like somebody else we know, except he's got moxie. He wins. That's all he does is win. What's the most important stat? Did we win? Oh, yes. They won the game. It kind of depends on how you weigh in on that. By the way, uh, just real quickly before the break, Mm -hmm. uh, Fred has checked in. Hello, Fred. Hello, Fred. Uh, It was Prince Harry that had frostbite on his pee-pee. Oh, how did that happen? Uh, I don't know. He wrote about it in his autobiography or something like that. He had frostbite elsewhere, but uh, apparently his... uh, <clears throat> His royal sausage <laughs> was uh, <laughs> was was a little. Uh, I, my my flange is, my flange <laughs> needs some help. Somebody send some warmth. I can't feel it. <laughs> my urethra is frozen. <laughs> send, send the hot towel bath at once, immediately. Megan Markle, Epsom salts. Hurry. <laughs> 301-230. Wait, is he the one that's married to Megan? I, uh, I get so confused with all these Harry, royal family Harry's people. married to Megan, right? I don't know. Why do you just mean, all the Michael Which Strahan? one's married to the Kardashians? Any uh, of them? No. Oh. Thankfully. Okay. I have no idea. I literally, there isn't a thing that I could care about less than the royal family. Like, almost nothing. <laughs> I just, Look. No idea. My, my grandfather was from England. Fought for England in World War II. I don't know what the royal family does other than being a um, like a fictitious group almost. Mm. What do they do? What's their purpose? They're uh, not even like they're they not even like the president. At four o'clock in the they're, afternoon, they're not even like the president. Yeah, I know. You know, at least the president uh, can uh, veto or the, or laws. The prime and, minister, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, because they got a prime minister, yeah. they got House of Commons, all that right. other stuff. What do these people do besides? Oh, you're a king. I've made you a king, Chris Russell. You are king, the king of Ashburn. I am the king of radio. You've, you're the king of Sterling. 
You know, we 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 tab you the king of Sterling Chantilly. There you go, Chantilly Chris over here. Three zero one two three zero zero nine eighty. Look, Scott Turner certainly, as we saw yesterday, a lot of coaches under the microscope. Some uh, looking at the help wanted ads today. Is Scott Turner headed in that direction? And the fact that you know Ron Rivera will speak in about ninety minutes with Martin Mayhew uh, will bring you uh, some of that. Uh, coverage later on this morning the fact that he wasn't part of yesterday's musings is that a good sign for Scott or not we'll talk about Scott Turner and his role in an 8-8 and 1 season with the Washington football team coming up next it's Russell and Redhurst we're live and underway on a Tuesday morning 9 to noon every day right here on the team 980 and streaming live for free on the Odyssey app If you're just getting in the car this morning, maybe you went to bed early last night. Georgia smacks TCU 65-7. to No, your little update notification that you got, it was correct. It wasn't a typo. Wizards fall to the Pelicans disappointingly last night. Mm. And the Nats have signed Corey Dickerson. Yeah! Kudos to our guy, Rich, at the NatsReport.com for breaking that. Love you, Corey. Eighth round pick in 2010. Grilling with Rich. <gasps> Woo! I mean, I could go for some grilling right now. I, I could with Rich, too. with Big Tony, with anybody. Yeah, you know, a little chicken, a little barbecue chicken. Mm. Start the day off right. That'd be good. A little, little scrambled eggs on the side, a little toast. How about a little brisket? That's at fine at 9.34 in the 9:34 morning. 9.34 in the morning. Uh, yeah. Brisket at any time is good. 9.34 at morning, night. If it's cooked good, there is. 2 a.m., whenever, I'm all in. If it's cooked good and you don't have to worry about calories or fat, there is nothing better than So my local uh, barbecue place actually used to do breakfast that they used to do brisket, egg, and cheese sandwiches. Oh, baby. So they don't do it anymore? No, it was a summer thing just because they needed people to work and they don't have the amount of people to Uh, do the morning shift anymore. So, Well... How much would they charge for a brisket, egg, and cheese? Probably eleven bucks. I think it was like eight fifty or oh, something. That's not bad, dude. Eight fifty. That's came it. On, it came on like a little biscuit. It wasn't like a sandwich, but yeah. Yeah, but brisket by and large, like if you go to any typical barbecue chainy type place, you know the places that I'm kind of talking about. Yeah, brisket is going to run you probably twenty plus dollars a pound. Yeah. It's because it's so the best if you barbecue, get, period. Yeah, right. But I mean I'm saying, I mean, if you get a like if you get a half a pound of brisket, you know, like just the brisket, it's probably gonna run you eleven ish dollars, somewhere in that range. And that's not the sides and the combo and the this and the that, you know, the cornbread and all that stuff. Now, or you could do what I'll occasionally do is find a brisket on sale especially around St. Patrick's Day-ish, or one that's clearanced out. I know people get mad at me or, or <laughs> laugh at me for buying meat on discount. As long, ground as long as you cook it right away or put it and check the dates, for God's sakes, you don't have to be a complete dope, a blithering idiot, exactly a donk. Like Craig Heiss says, Dan and Dundalk. Don't be a donk. Don't be a dundalk donk. Donkey. Anyway, you if you can read a label, you can say, oh, it was sell by this date. 
Well, put it in the damn freezer or use it right away. Put it out on your smoker. It doesn't have to be a big green egg, but it can be like I have. And about 12 hours later, 11 hours later, after you give it some TLC, some tender love and care, some BLC, some BTLC, barbecue, tender love and care, you are going to have the best. The best. That smoky, fatty, ah, just the juices emanating, drizzling down. Woo! There were times this year where tasty brisket-like juice was running down from this Washington offense. <laughs> that is one hell of a transition. Game one. <laughs> Game one. Terry McLaurin down the right sideline. Yeah. Carson Wentz throwing a laser right into his hands into the end zone for a touchdown. Brian Robinson showing some physicality, running through guys. Jahan Dotson's emergence. Every time we watched him catch the football and what he did with it after the catch gave us hope that while not in terms of straight line speed, as lightning fast as a cheetah who thinks Robert Griffin III is going to be a great GM in the NFL one day. Mm -hmm. But he's pretty damn fast. And when you see things like that, when you saw Curtis Samuel making plays, we saw De'Ami Brown catch a deep ball. And we were like, wow, this is what this offense can look like. That, That was a lot of tasty brisket juice. That was a lot of hope. For this Washington offense. Mm -hmm. What they were unable to do was harness that consistently. Whether it was a lack of execution by the offense. Because the combination of 11 players constantly changed throughout the course of the season. Dotson missed a handful of games due to injury. Mm -hmm. The quarterback situation being what it was. The offensive line merry-go-round being what it was. Mainly due to injury for the most part, a lack of continuity there. So that spoiled the 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 juice, that 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 dried the meat out, so to speak, uh, from that standpoint. That's how you arrive at 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. Imagine that, Chris. Washington, first, first in the National Football League to be, eight, eight, to be 500 in a 17-game schedule. Truly 500. I mean, it's as mediocre as it gets. That's what I, that's what yeah. I said. Eight, 500, right. even. In a 17-game yeah. schedule. No, I was confirming oh, what you despite said. I was an listening. odd, right? Despite an odd, despite an odd number of yeah. games, Washington right. still found a way to be 500. Right. Because people thought you couldn't be 500 anymore, but, <laughs> but they found that? a way. How about this though? How about this though? Eight is greater than seven. That is correct. Eight is less than nine. Eight right. is less than ten. Correct. Ron Rivera won more games this year. Correct. Lost less games this correct. year. Than he has in the previous two. So that must mean they made progress. Happy do, Thanksgiving, everybody. Do, <laughs> do you feel, do you feel that they a did that, and is is the lack of consistency on offense as we just detailed mm-hmm. some of the things that went wrong? Is that a is that a higher percentage on Scott Turner? Is it on? the players and the lack of continuity in the lineup mm-hmm. at times for this group, which which one of those two bears more responsibility in your mind? Because in my opinion, Ron's got nothing to do with the offense. He turns that over to Scott, just like he turns the defense over right. to Jack, and he'll chime in if he feels 
that it's necessary, but I believe Ron coaches giving those two gentlemen a lot of autonomy with their respective units and their staffs. Right. But here's the thing. I think I think we're being somewhat naive. Uh, I, and I don't know if that's the right word, to think that Ron has nothing to do with the offense. Ron's the head coach. He's the grand poobah. He's the El Presidente. He is the, the all-powerful center. He is everything mm-hmm. of this universe. And if he wants something done, right. I think, I, I, I yeah, think he could walk into Scott Turner's office and say, listen, Scotty boy, I hired you. I paid you. I could fire you. Did he do that enough then in your mind? Probably not. Okay. I I definitely know that some of Ron's fingerprints. Remember what we said all offseason, or I know we talked about it, and I, I told you that I was concerned about this, that I thought Ron kept mentioning if we play like we did during the four-game winning streak in 2021, where we control the clock, run the ball, grind games out, what have you, that is our best formula to win. Ron kept saying that even after acquiring Carson Wentz. Scott Turner didn't necessarily go out and say, hey, guys, I want to throw the ball 65% of the time or whatever. He didn't do that. He didn't have to do that. I just know that that is more what Scott Turner would like to do. He would like to be more smoke and mirrors, more eye candy, more fun and fancy than Ron Rivera, who is a throwback, who is a ball control, time of possession, grind things out, three yards in a cloud of dust, everything that all the new age number nerds and analytics uh, people hate. Okay? So I was concerned about that philosophical divide. We talked about this. I mentioned this several times. And it turned out not exactly like Scott's over here and Ron's over here. But I don't think basically what I'm getting at, I don't think they bridge that gap. And there you go right there. That's that's ultimately if Ron philosophically believes one thing and now over three years your play caller has not, I don't want to say conformed, you know, to your line of thinking, but at the same time Mm -hmm. as a result of Continued player development with Terry McLaurin. Good drafting with the addition of Jahan Dotson. When you have those types of weapons, you're foolish not to try and make use of them. Mm -hmm. However, I think Scott's feel for how and when to use them, certainly given the quarterbacks that he's had to work with here and trying to work within their limitations or Work in the case of what you thought you had in Carson Wentz turns out, well, it, it that really wasn't quite what you thought either. Because, you know, again, game one, Wentz delivers that ball to McLaurin, and we are all falling over ourselves like it's an orgy in the end zone. Okay? Wait, did somebody just say orgy in the end zone? But wow. that's, that's what we were thinking oh watching Terry McLaurin on that bomb from Wentz. Going into the end zone in game one. That's also what Robert Griffin the third was an thinking. Orgy in the end zone. Oh, I, right. Huh? We're, weren't we all thinking that way? Weren't we all yes. thinking that way? Yeah. You were thinking it was going to be, oh my gosh, they just dropped the hammer, a different type of hammer, and this is going to be the not the new fun. Because bunch. if Jacksonville Woo! was coming from behind yeah. in that game, that was the play Washington could yes. not make in previous years. Correct. 
Because Correct. Alex Smith couldn't throw the ball downfield. Heineke's not equipped to throw it they, down the field like that all the time. Occasionally, occasionally, yes, but not all the time. And it wasn't only the McLaurin one in stride. It was also the Jahan Dotson go-ahead mm-hmm. or game-winning touchdown in that particular game, the second one of, of the day. I think it was 33, 34 yards. And it wasn't like – I mean, it was a great adjustment by Jahan and so on and so forth. But, yes, you thought that game probably did – well, all right, let, let me save my observation or my question for you about that game, mm-hmm. that moment, that sequence, and I'll I'll ask it to you on the other side. All right, Coach Rivera track. and Martin Mayhew speaking an hour and 15 minutes. Going to try and bring that to you, get their comments on the season, and obviously looking ahead. And let's face it, it's tumultuous for them too because they're at the mercy of how fast a sale goes. We're talking about... Scott Turner, and the day after when a lot of assistant coaches get let go, he's still here on the roster uh, of coaches for Washington. Ron Rivera not making any rash decisions as good coaches, I think, in that respect do. They don't make the rash, emotional uh, decision at that point, giving it a little bit more thought, and uh, maybe they'll talk about that. I'm sure they'll be asked about that uh, coming up in an hour and 15 minutes out at the park. 301-230-0980. Right now, the big fella tells us what's trending. All right, the Georgia Bulldogs just scored again. No, seriously, it's it's actually over. 65-7, to seven, the final score last night. They win the college football playoff a second year in a row over TCU and Sonny Dykes. The Wizards minus Bradley Beal yet again lose their third in a row. Last night, a Capital One Arena to the New Orleans Pelicans, who didn't have Zion Williamson, but they did have... Canton, Ohio native, Glen Oak High School product, which is, by the way, where my kids are alumni of. That would be, uh, what's his name? <laughs> I'm just drawing a blank. What, what were you Hello. saying? Uh, C.J. McCollum. Yeah. <laughs> I was drawing a blank. Yeah. I forgot to write his name in my C- script. C.J. McCollum played in the Patriot League, <laughs> boys and girls. Well, Makes millions of dollars. And he didn't go to Duke. He didn't go. In fact, he beat Duke in the NCAA right. tournament right here in town. Well, again, right what here. I, what, I, what, I was, what I was saying is that my kids went to the same high school as him. They're all alumni. C.J. Mm. McCollum, Tyler, Natalie Russo. Not a boy. I mean, I like it. on the same page. Anyway, he had 34 points. Wizards with 20 turnovers. Yuck. As Pete just mentioned, Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, expected to meet the media right around 11 o'clock. We will try and bring that for you right here on the Team 980 and the Odyssey app. And according uh, to the Nats report, Dadgum, the Washington Nationals have agreed to a multi-year deal with outfielder Corey Dickerson. And that's what's trending. Does Scott Turner give offense a bad name? (laughs) Is it his fault for the erratic performance of the offense? The head coach keeps saying, hey, we've got to find QB1 still. That's what he told us coming into this season. The owner said, we've got QB1 now. Mm. Okay? And unfortunately, that didn't work. They tried. They made a move. Give them credit, you know, for doing something. Um, It didn't work. Uh, maybe Taylor Heineke makes you go nine seven and one. If you play them all seventeen, maybe mm-hmm. maybe he makes you go ten six and one. Who knows? Uh, you're still not winning the Lombardi. 
as you're constructed because you don't have any linebackers and you're still ailing, you know, late in the season injury-wise on the offensive line and in secondary. So, you know, this team wasn't winning the Lombardi this year. They're nowhere near on the same plane as Cincinnati, Kansas City, Buffalo from a roster standpoint. I would say weapons-wise, they're they're close to those teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Would you take McLaurin, Dotson, Samuel, Brown, Sims as your five against the likes of Schuster, Hardman, Kadarius Tony, by the way. Kadarius Tony had Kadarius like Tony, four by or the five way. touchdowns down yeah, the stretch. Yeah, don't, don't think. And, look, and you see who they just signed yesterday to I a did. futures contract? I did. I mean, I no idea if that's going to work out. I mean, some guys can run really fast, but John Ross was a top 10 pick. The first time he sprints down the field, he'll probably pull a hamstring yeah. and it'll all be over. Right. Okay, so just like a car, beautiful car going down the highway, right. blows a tire, all of a sudden the rim blows up. But if it's going to work anywhere, it, it would work, work in Kansas Correct. City. But remember, they've tried to they've tried to save some reclamation guys a couple times, and it's true, you know. But you know, Kadarius Tony, perfect example of what going there and in that system, friendly to wide receivers. So, is it Andy and Bienemy that turn that around that allows Kadarius Tony all of a sudden to thrive? Juju Smith Schuster thrive. I mean, the answer is it's a combination of Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Bienemy. The system at all. I mean, you can't do one without the other. And that's what brings us to Scott Turner. Is it Scott Turner, the play caller and the system, or is it the lack of a true bona fide stud at quarterback that is holding this offense back? Many, many fans completely and totally blame Scott Turner. I think that is the most ignorant, blind, Unaware um, stance that you could possibly have. Are you absolving absolving him from guilt at all in this? Though? No. That's, so he's an and, accessory. And, he's an accessory and, to the crime. Where I'm going with this is Scott Turner is to blame for a good deal of the problems, but not anywhere near almost largely what have you he is part of the crime to use your whether he's aiden and abetting aiden and abetting my cousin Vinny, great movie uh whether he's aiden and abetting whether he's you know committing a petty crime a misdemeanor whatever it is he is definitely a culprit in the problem to think that he is all most 99% of the problem, what have you, if any player in that locker room, and we heard from Sam Fortier's Washington Post piece uh, about all these players that didn't you know, go on record except for Logan Thomas that think they should have done, guess what, guys? You're right. You should have done more. Guess what? Scott Turner is to blame for some of that. Guess what? Your lack of a franchise stud quarterback, your lack of a good quarterback is also to blame for that. Your lack of an offensive line is to blame for some of that. Everybody, Ron Rivera is to blame for it. Marty Hurdy, Martin Mayhew, Dan Snyder, everyone is to blame for that. Here's the question I real quickly want to ask you and then let you marinate on. We were talking about game one against Jacksonville and how that game played out. Remember, early success, short passing, Jahan Dotson in the red zone back line, uh, 
you know, the the backside screen to Amari Rogers, uh, Amani Rogers, Amari Rogers. There's so many Amanis and Amaris, whatever. Uh, the the young kid out of Ohio that they turned into a tight end. Uh, all of that, it, it, they scored on the first two drives. They hadn't done that in like 15 years. They were great, 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 great. And then they went for like 26 plays in which they had nothing but turnovers. And then they woke up and hit McLaurin in stride and Jahan Dotson and so on and so forth and won a game and scored 28 points. And everybody was like, ooh, did Scott Turner fall too much in love with the style of attack and then the ultimate execution in that game? And did that carry over his mentality over the course of the season and ultimately serve as a bad blueprint for an inconsistent offense. I want you to like marinate on that. You see, you understand where I'm getting at? I've got the great, I've got a great analogy for that. All right. When we come back, I want to hear that in a couple of minutes, but you understand what I'm, I'm sure. trying to get at Absolutely. with the question. 301-230-0980. Let's get your thoughts on it as well here coming up in touchdown at 10 right now on the team 980 and streaming live for free on the Odyssey app. 